Don't look at me that way. I don't want to hear it. I mean it, Delilah. This whole trip is ridiculous, and you know it. Oh, how's that again? How's 90 miles with my pregnant wife for one? And you're not the smoothest ride ever. No offense. What if she starts contracting on the way? Yes. In fact, I am throwing myself a pity party, and you're invited, so stop complaining about it. Sorry. I'm sorry. Okay, I don't blame you. I blame Caesar and this whole head counting nonsense. Truth is, and I'm only telling you this, under ordinary circumstances, I would love to make the trip back to Bethlehem and see my family again, my my uncles, my cousins, of course, Aunt Yael. But now. <laughs> Am I supposed to explain all this? Mary, Mary needed an angel to explain it to her. I needed a divine dream to get it. What am I supposed to do when I get to Bethlehem, huh? Break the ice over some matzah? What is my family gonna say when they see Mary and I together and she looks... <sighs> have to make the trip to Bethlehem because I, way, way back, am related to a king. What do you mean I don't look like I have royal blood? It's true. I'm related to a king. And she is about to give birth to a king. And You said marry her, so I did. You said name him Jesus, so I will. You said, you said he would be the son of God. Your son. You are too good to us, Lord. What was impossible to believe still Seems so impossible. So girl, you will be carrying Mary, and Mary will be carrying the Son of God. And I will be carrying a lot. A lot to process. This little pity party thing stays between us, okay? This morning we gave Joseph a voice, and the main reason we did is because Joseph never speaks in God's word. You never have a you never have a quote. Uh, no one ever talks about what Joseph said. Nothing. We have no words from Joseph in God's word. Isn't that very interesting when you think about it? Yet he's one of the key players in the Christmas story. And so this morning, if you have a Bible or a way to see God's Word, turn to Matthew chapter 1, Matthew chapter 1. Today we continue our series, The Christmas Guest List. And there in the introduction, you see it reads, Over 2,000 years later, God is still inviting us into the Christmas story. 
And so this morning, I just want to ask a simple question. What makes Christmas so special to you? Now, some of you are sitting here thinking about food right now. Some of you are thinking about cookies with M&Ms in them. You're thinking about gingerbread men. You're thinking about gifts. Isn't it amazing when you're a child, you live for the gift? You, you remember that when we were children, we, could, we, we wanted to breeze through the meal to get to the gift, and, and didn't it seem like the adults took forever? Now that we're adults, what do we look forward to? The meal, right? We don't care anything about the presents. We brought them with us, right? And it's amazing how our view of Christmas even has changed as we've gone along. And, but hopefully, the Christmas story is much more about a meal and some gifts. It's about Jesus. We've sung about him all morning. Emmanuel, basically God in the flesh. But more than that, he is heaven that has come down. And there's many things attached to this. And, and hopefully for you, Christmas is special to you because your Savior came to this world to provide a way that you could have forgiveness of sins and that you could also go to heaven when you die. So, based on what we're looking at this week, we're looking at this story, but we're not looking at it through Mary's point of view like Jonathan did last week. We're going to be looking at it through Joseph's point of view, someone who I believe is one of the most underrated characters in all of Scripture. I think this man named Joseph is he. So, look here. Joseph's invitation was made possible by his obedience. Joseph was invited to the Christmas story, into the Christmas story, because he was a willing participant. A willing participant. Now think about it. We're going to look into this in just a moment. Joseph could have opted out of the Christmas story when you really think about it. He could have quietly just gone away and there's a chance we would have never read about him. But the point is, Joseph's invitation did not come because he was anyone special. He didn't come because he had an impressive resume. He was definitely not wealthy. He had a common job of a carpenter. Even his name would have been a common name back in that day. So why Joseph? Why did the Heavenly Father choose Joseph to be the one who would raise, who would protect, and who would provide for his only son? Have you ever thought about that? Why did God choose Joseph? Some people have even gone as far to say, well, God chose Joseph because uh, Mary chose Joseph. No, I think God was very intentional from, from day one in Joseph's life and day one of Mary's life to prepare them for that point and, and when they would intersect their lives together because God was bringing the story all together. But what did Joseph bring to the table? He was a willing participant. Joseph is a vital part of the story, and the reason he's a vital part of the story is not just because he comes from a, a common background that I think many of us could relate to when it comes to the, the, first, the home of Jesus, but not only that, in Micah chapter 5, look here on the screen, it says this, but you, Bethlehem, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, Yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel. That would be the Messiah. That would be Jesus. Whose goings forth are from of old and from everlasting. 
So basically, here's, what you, here's the, the context of what we're looking at. It wasn't that jo- God just chose Joseph. Joseph was chosen also because he was from Bethlehem. How do we know that? Because that was his hometown. The Bible clearly tells us that. And from Joseph, we have the genealogy of, of King David. It goes all the way back to King David, and the Bible prophesies, prophesies that the Messiah, Jesus, would come from the lineage of King David. And so Joseph, that's his part in this too. So it wasn't just his willingness to be a part of the story. He was qualified by prophecy to be a part of the story. So we see in Matthew chapter 1, verse 6, that he comes from the descendancy of King David himself. So I want to talk to you this morning about something that maybe we've never considered. When it comes to the Christmas story, I think many of you, maybe you have your little scene out already this week or, or this year, and it's sitting there, and you got the, the perfect little quiet setting sitting there. You got the, you know, the, 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 the donkeys kneeling, you've got the sheep just hanging out, <laughs> and then you got Mary and Joseph and the little manger sitting there. But let me just say this we have glamorized the whole story. I mean, this story is one that is very difficult for all who are involved. So the first thing I want us to see, Joseph was obedient when it was embarrassing and humiliating. And the first thing I want you to see is the engagement of devotion. In Matthew chapter 1, look at verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus was as follows. Now now think of that. The birth of Jesus was as follows. Now let me tell you something about the writer. Matthew, who's the writer of what we're reading here, was a writer that basically wrote his gospel trying or attempting to convince those who were Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. That was the full intention of why Matthew wrote his gospel, was to convince Jews Jesus is the Messiah. And so basically, he's going to go and he's basically saying, okay, now here's the birth of Jesus. He's going to use all through the gospel, Old Testament prophecies and everything to bring into the equation to to reveal that. So at the very beginning, it says this, the birth of Jesus was followed after his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph. Now, that's key. We just need to stop right there. And Jonathan alluded to some of this last week. But here's what we're understanding here. By Jewish custom, a betrothal signified more than an engagement in a modern sense. Now, right now, what do we do? Most of the time, the man gets on one knee, knee, uh, uh, gives a ring. Okay, yes, yes, everybody's happy, big hug, and we move on, right? That wasn't the case in the culture in which we're talking about. The the Hebrew marriage involved four parts. You had the betrothal, which literally was just an agreement. It was more like a contract. And for some, for many really, it was a financial contract. You see, in the house, the, 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 the woman would leave and go with the man. So a woman is without, or a family is without a wife. And so, literally, there's a diary that's being paid for her, okay? And so, as a result of that, there's an agreement that's made, and it becomes a financial agreement. That's that first part. The second part is the preparation of marriage. So, all of a sudden, there's an agreement that a marriage is going to take place. Then there's a preparation for this marriage, and that normally took approximately one year. 
where Mary, uh, in this case, Mary would go make preparations for the marriage. Joseph would do the same. And they would be bu- literally building a home together for that one year. So you have that second part. Then you actually had the actual ceremony that typically was a wedding feast that lasted approximately one week. Now, how many of you would like to go to a, a wedding that lasts one week? I don't care to. Uh, one hour is sufficient. No, I'm just kidding. But, 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 but there's this, this whole thing. But the fourth part was key. It was the consummation of the marriage. And, and basically, that's where the covenant enters in. So it starts as a financial agreement, some type of contract, some type of agreement. But when the consummation of the marriage, the physical part of the relationship were to take place, the covenant would have been fortified or signified at that point. And, of course, we know, if you read the Old Testament, that basically a covenant was sealed with the shedding of blood. And that would have been the case of a woman who was a virgin. Okay? And so basically you've got all that in play, but guess what? It didn't quite play out that way. As Jonathan said last week, the bride is typically between ages 12 to 16. Now, how many of you, it's hard to get your mind around a 12-year-old becoming a mother? It's hard in this day and age, but back then it was different. Uh, the male, the groom, typically was between 17 and 20. So look at verse 18 again. Look at what it says. The birth of Jesus was as follows. After his mother was betrothed to Joseph. So where where are we at in the four parts of the marriage? We're in the part where they're preparing to make a home with one another. They're at one year period of making that home together. The agreement's already been secured, and now they're making that agreement. And it says this. After this, before they came together, she was found with child. Now, before we go to the, even the most important part of that, let's stop right here. This could have been considered a breach of the agreement or the contract. The fact that she was with child, Joseph, of course, has nothing to do with it, would have been a serious, serious problem. Okay? And the problem would have been really for Mary, if you really think about it. But Joseph made it his problem also, and we'll look at this in just a moment as to why. But what was different about this? This is something that's never happened before. Before they came together, before there was consummation, before everything was put together, she was found with child of what? Of the Holy Spirit. Anybody in here got a daddy named Holy Spirit? Boy, that would be special. Glad no one raised your hand. But anyway... So then we come to the expression of Joseph's devotion. Think of all that Joseph had anticipated and looked forward to with his new relationship with Mary. I want you to think about it. I mean, all these dreams. He was a carpenter. He was going to make a home. He already knew how to make a living. Probably learned that from his own father. And all of a sudden, everything's coming together. They're out preparing for their, uh, their life together. Things are looking really well. Now... However, we know the story is going to be full of disappointment as it relates to those plans. Full of disappointment. You know uh, the story. Mary's with child before she and Joseph consummate the marriage. So look at verse 19. Then Joseph, her husband, he's found out about it, okay? Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example 
was minded to put her away secretly. He, he didn't want to make a public example. So what does that mean? It literally means this, that, that he wanted to put her away secretly and not formally press charges against her and her adultery or her fornication, however you want to put it. And so basically he is, is he's sitting there and it's almost like the public formal charges are completely out of his mind. He, he doesn't want to go that route. However, he could have secretly broke off the contract of the agreement. He could have done that. Okay, that's, that's something he was considering. Then others, however, could have thought that he got her pregnant and then walked away. Think of that. That, was, that still would be a tough option. Or he could follow through with his pledge to her, which would bring accusations also against him, with many possibly believing he was the father of the child. He then would become a part or identify with the same shame that Mary is already or will take on. He's identifying with her shame. This shame, we understand, must have followed him most of his life. You say, well, how would you know that? Well, first of all, Nazareth is where all this is taking place, okay? Nazareth is made up of around 500 people. Now, you who are from small towns, what do you know about news? It goes everywhere, right? And, and once things are marked, it's clearly marked. And, and of course, we're talking about the whole story. I, I, I'm sorry, it would have been very scandalous. It would have been. It, it would have been one of them stories. It would have been juicy gossip for many. And all of a sudden, we're sitting here, and it says this. It says, and basically, when you think about it, in Luke chapter 4, Jesus is starting his public ministry. The people of Nazareth are listening to him read something in the synagogue. And guess what said? Is this not Joseph's son? Joseph's son? Do you hear the sarcasm that could be played there? Is this not the one who, who, who was the, the part of the scandal himself by being born into the scandal? I think a lot of us miss this. But could it be? Next Joseph was obedient when it was unimaginable and inconceivable. What do you know about God's plan? What's your experience with God's plan as an individual? I mean, sometimes we, it, it, how many of you have noticed that sometimes the journey you're on seems to not add up? It's almost like you're, you're, you're going through this life, you're, you're, you're going, you, you've given your life to Christ, and uh, I think for a lot of people, they think it's easy after that. It's, it's not. How many of you found it? It's not. The, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. Difficulty does visit belie the believer, but all of a sudden, you're in this, and, and, and keep in mind that Joseph is sitting here trying to figure this whole thing out, all right? He's trying to figure it out. But sometimes, how many, of you have, how many of you have seen that sometimes when we don't understand, it can lead to a light of isolation? And that's what we're dealing with. I think that's what Joseph's dealing with. So we see the isolation. In Luke 1, we read that, Mary, that after the angel left Mary, you remember the story last week? 
After the angel left, and, and we, we were made aware of this last week, that Mary went to her cousin's house, okay, Elizabeth, 80 miles away. Now, you don't take an 80-mile journey without staying there for a while, all right, in that day. Five to six days on foot, okay? So basically, she stayed there, we think, at the least three months. So Joseph must have experienced loneliness back in his hometown, and there may have been one who felt betrayed. I want you to think about it. We don't know how long it took for Mary to receive the news and then for Joseph to receive the news. Could have been several months. And so all this is coming down. Look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 20. But while he thought about these things, now how many of you have things that keep you up at night? Thought about these things. You've been there. <laughs> and it just keep, and it wears on you. I mean, you, you, you get busy doing something else, but it visits you, it visits you, it stays there. And all of a sudden, Joseph is left with all of this. Now, we see Joseph left, left alone with his thoughts. Imagine some of the loneliness that may center this, that center around this. His isolation. Mary's not there. The loneliness. I mean, let's face it, the internet's not there. They can't FaceTime each other. They, they can't have a lot of communication. To me, it's the worst time for her to go, even though she needed to go, evidently based on the Word of God. But it couldn't, it couldn't have been any more miserable for Joseph than what it is right now. And he's in that place. Then comes the hope. How many of you have noticed sometimes when you leave the desperations of this world and the isolation, you're just looking for a ray of hope? How many of you have ever been there? You're just looking for something that's going to help the situation, shed light on the situation, whatever it may be. But then the hope begins to, to come forward. But can you imagine the conversation between Mary and Joseph when she found out what the angel told her? Hey, Joseph, just want you to know I'm with child. Uh, by the way, um, haven't, haven't been with any man uh, I've been told this is of the Holy Spirit. I know we've never heard anything like this before. I, I hope you believe me. How many of you men are sitting here saying, oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. I mean, that had to be a tough place when you think about it. Now, keep in mind that this message from the angel could have been months ago. And then we come to Matthew chapter 1, verse 20. And here's where the hope could be found. But while he thought about these things, what was he thinking about? He's thinking about the fact that Mary is with child. Mary's pregnant. He knows, he knows he's not the father. It says, while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Don't you think that conversation with Mary and Joseph's already taken place? And that's some of the wording that would have been in there? You see? So what do we have? We have an affirmation. We have a confirmation. Okay? And, and, and verse 21. She'll bring forth a son, and Joseph, you shall call his name Jesus. Now, basically what you need to understand is that the father's the one that gave the name to the child. Okay? 
But in this case, it's not his earthly father who's giving the name. It's his heavenly father. And by the way, he's giving him another common name. Just like Joseph would have been a common name in the first century. Did you know Jesus was a common name in the first century? Every mother would have loved to give birth to the Savior. That's what it literally means. Jesus means Savior. Every mother would have loved to have been that. So, so if, if someone went out uh, in the street and said, hey, Jesus, come on, it's time to eat. There could have been a lot of young boys following that, that, that name. And so we see that it's a common name, but it means what it means. It says in verse 21, for he shall save his people from their sins. Wow. So all this was done, verse 22, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translate, God is with us. God has wrapped himself in flesh, and he is with us. This is who this child is going to be. Now, notice how Matthew wrote this. According to the prophet, what's Matthew doing? He's talking to the Jewish audience. He's saying, here's another reason we know this is the Messiah, that Jesus is the one. Now think about the relief Joseph and Mary must have, fought, must have felt. Now, now I don't know about you, but some of you guys, how many of you can be cynical at times? How many of you are, you're not naive? How many of you thought, well, man, what did I eat last night that caused the history? This is so real. I mean, Joseph was able to take this in. So next we see the surrender. Look at verse 24. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her, did not consummate the marriage till she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus. All this tells us is that Joseph was obedient and he was willing to be a part of the story even though it's going to cost him a lot. Now, you look at all these things. As the years went by, don't you think it may have crossed his mind because of other thoughts that all of a sudden, I'm going to be a part of God's plan and he's just going to take care of everything. He's going to, I mean, he obviously wants his son to be possibly wealthy. (laughs) He obviously wants his son to have this and that and all these things. But man, it's far from the story, isn't it, of what he probably thought. Then there had to be this all other thought in his mind that all of a sudden there's going to be all this shame that's associated with Mary and Joseph. There's a scandal that seems to rest with this family. And and all of a sudden he must be thinking also, uh, Lord, will my obedience ever be vindicated? Vindicated. Will ever will people really come to terms with what this is really all about? And, and the scandal that appears to be this cloud over Mary and myself, will it ever come about that it happened the way we were told it happened? How many of you that would be on your mind? I mean, we like to for people to think well of us, and all of a sudden, all this is out there. Now think about it from this perspective also. Joseph's obedience would cost him his own dreams and his own agenda and and the life he always imagined. His life will never be the same. Will never be the same. 
Next, Joseph was obedient when it was disturbing and inconvenient. This situation for Joseph wasn't inconvenient just for a moment. This is going to be inconvenient for the rest of his life. For the rest of his life. Having a child in the early parts of the marriage, of course, we know that can bring stress. Then all of a sudden, what's standing right in front of him just months later, traveling 80 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem with a woman who's due to give birth at any time. Once in Bethlehem, we find, according to Scripture, there's really nowhere to stay. The only shelter is a shelter built for animals, and animals happen to be there. Now, here's the thing you've got to remember. And I don't know what to think about this. I, we can all kind of guess what's going on. Did Joseph have family in Bethlehem? He obviously had family in Bethlehem. Why then does there appear to be no room anywhere when family's in Bethlehem? I mean, think about that. And all of a sudden, we read about the innkeepers and all this. They were, they were looking for shelter when they, wherever they could get it. Have you ever wondered why they couldn't get shelter with his own family? Now, again, we're speculating, but it's worth speculating about because we know he had family there. Why would they not shelter their family member who's nine months pregnant? Some people guess that that shame of cloud and scandal had already gone before them. And no one wanted to take part in this. I mean, isn't that something to think about? I never thought of it that way until recently. And I think so many times what we do with a lot of the stories in the Bible is we want to uh, uh, make them sometimes more than they are because most of the time it's just common everyday occurrences in, in the Bible. But then there's these monumental times in which everything about it's got to be holy. Sometimes it's not perfectly holy, is it? Sometimes there's participants on the other side of holy trying to make it unholy. Or there's no faith and there's no belief. And so you got all these things that are going around. But these were inconveniences all around them. On several occasions, Mary and Joseph had to stop what they were doing, especially in the early parts, and just move. And when you understand the story that's about to play out, they had to feel like fugitives going from one place to the next. Fugitives. First, there's the travel to Egypt. Matthew chapter 2, verse 13. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in the dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. Y'all know the story. You know the story. So here's my question. And this is a question we could probably ask God about most of our situations. Here it is. God, why don't you just take Herod out? And we can go home and be okay. God, why wouldn't you just do that? It's your son. You would have a direct link into protecting him. How many of you that possibly would have crossed your mind? How about the things that you're in the middle of right now? God, why don't you just do this? 
For you, it would be so simple. For you, it would mean the life to me. (laughs) For you, just by doing this, can you imagine all the inconveniences that would be tossed aside that I had to deal with? All the, the, the difficulties, all the circumstances that would come if you would just take this one thing out of the way. It kind of makes sense in your rationalization, doesn't it? But here's what you got to understand about Joseph's life and Mary's life and your life. Those small, insignificant things that you're so tore up that God's not taking care of, there's a purpose behind every bit of it. Every bit of it. And we find it even here in this text. Look at verse 14. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt. And there and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I called my son. So what can we take from this? What was a major inconvenience to Joseph and Mary? What was that one thing that they possibly wanted out of their life, that they could get on with their life? God says, obviously, it's going to stay. Herod has a part in this. Out of Egypt, prophesied over 600 years earlier, it has to be. Now, here's what I want you to think about. And I may make this too simplistic. It's almost like when I read stories like this, and I think it works beautifully in the story, it's almost like God has this puzzle that he's putting together. How many of you put puzzles together? I'm the type, I love to start a puzzle, but once I get the frame, I think other people have said that. I, I think my son actually learned this from me. Once I get the frame done, I'm done. I've contributed my part. You, you know what I mean? And to me, that's, that's good stuff right there. Got the frame done, okay? But, but, but here's what you need to understand about God and his plans and his ways and the way he, he's thinking big picture. Much bigger than we can ever imagine. Much bigger than our individual lives. Much bigger. Much, much bigger. And there's just one piece that, that has to go. And, and, and it has to be that way. It could be a prophecy that needs to be fulfilled. It may just be the way that God designs it. It may be because God said it was going to be that way. But in the end, we can count on it being the right thing. We may never think it in this life breathing the air that we breathe in this life. But one day, and I believe heaven is going to be a lot of this, the grand revelation of his grand plan is going to be totally revealed. Totally revealed. And and we won't be saying anymore, why don't you just take Herod out? It would be just so much simpler. God, if you just give me a better health report, God, if you would just do this with my child. God, if you... There's a bigger, much bigger plan that's bigger than any one of us that he's working out. And we need to think of that. Next, to travel to southern Israel, verse 19 of chapter 2. And now when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the young child's life are dead. 
Then he arose, took the young child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. Now, when you were saying the land of Israel, uh, most people in that day would say that you're talking about the, the region there, just that region. But there was something different about this. Next, you see the travel to northern Israel. Look what it says in verse 22. But when they heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea, instead of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned by God in a dream, he turned aside into the region of Galilee, and he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. Now, that would have been an easy part to fit into the, the prophecy. Because where was Mary and Joseph's home? It was in Nazareth. So all of a sudden, my son will come out of Egypt. My son will be called a Nazarene. That will be where he is. That's where he identifies as his home. All these different things. Even his birth in Bethlehem. That was predicted there. And all of a sudden, you're sitting there as a scholar looking back of 600, I mean, years and hundreds of years of prophecy, and you're trying to make sense of the Messiah, and you understand, well, Bethlehem's associated with him, Egypt's associated with him, Nazareth's associated with him. Who's right? What's right? And all of a sudden, one day, Jesus shows up, and it all becomes crystal clear. Now, let me just tell you this. I want to give you a side note. How many, of you, how many of you lately have been thinking about a lot of end time stuff? You've been thinking about a lot of end time stuff? I've been thinking about end time stuff too. Back in the early 80s, mid 80s, I was obsessed with end time prophecy. So much so, I was ready to go get me something white and stand on a mountain. I mean, I just knew. You, you know what I mean? <laughs> but you know something, 40 years later, 40, well, yeah, anyway, 40 years later, it, it's gotten clearer. But it's not clearly seen yet. How many of you agree with me? There's things that you read in Scripture. There's things that you see there that's gotten a little clearer than the last generation saw. But it's still not quite focused in yet. You see, the, when Jesus came the first time, all of that prophecy that talked about him coming the first time became highly visible. Matthew does a great job in the whole gospel saying prophecy fulfilled, prophecy fulfilled, prophecy fulfilled. Look, you got the visualization, not of just prophecy. It's all being fulfilled in this man named Jesus, the one we call the Messiah. But the second coming, and we're sitting here, and, and, and we can't quite see it. This part doesn't line up with that part, and that part doesn't line up. But all of a sudden, one day, it's going to become clear as mud. I mean, clear as clear. <laughs> You keep on with the story. And you, really, when you think about it, Joseph, all of a sudden, he's just leaning on God every way he can. He, he's waiting for the next thing God's going to say. Joseph waited on God's timing through the years. And that had to be an incredible act of obedience and patience. Because all of a sudden it's here, and then it's there, and then it's there. And his own dreams and his agendas have been flushed. God is a central figure in his life because of his obedience. Next, Joseph was obedient when it was difficult and overwhelming. Turn to Luke chapter 2. This is the second place we find uh, the, the scripture, the Christmas story. Now, the feeling of being overwhelmed, 
How many of you agree with this is a pretty common feeling this time of year? Uh, any of y'all been there? You know, a lot of demands, uh, just the pressure of having to get with family. Is that, of course, if my family's looking on, I'm not talking about y'all. But, but, <laughs> but, but really trying to work it all in together and some of the things that are happening and that kind of thing. But then there's also the pressures of frustration. The frustration. Of all the times to have to travel 80 miles over rough terrain, five to six day journey, Mary's due date was close. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. It came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augusta that all the world should be registered. This census took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea. To the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. Think about this. God is using all the rulers of that time as his own pawns to establish what he desired to play out. Isn't that, isn't that amazing when you think about it? He's using all that. So, so you got the, the pressures of the frustration. you got the pressures of the family. Look at chapter 2, verse 6. So it was while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. She brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger. Why? Because there was no room for them in the end. You could just say there was no room for them. No room for them. Joseph was now responsible for not only a wife, but also a son. Not just any son. Son of God. Big deal. How many of you men, when your child was first born, you sat there, and, and, and I had a friend of mine sitting right here today, he said, it's almost like the pressure was taken off his wife and just dumped on me once the baby got here. How many of you can relate to some of that? And all of a sudden, we've got this, this scene. And, 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 and listen, yours, you may think that's the most special child in the world. He ain't compared to Jesus, okay? Or she ain't. But can you imagine what Joseph's feeling? The Oh, man, you're talking about uh, uh, having to look after that? And then the pressures of finances. Luke chapter 2, verse 22. Now, when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed talking about Mary, they brought Jesus to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. What did they bring? They brought a pair of turtle doves and or two young pigeons. Now, what does that tell us? It tells us Mary and Joseph did not have hardly any means. Because if they came forth and they had means, they would have brought a sheep or a, or a, uh, a cow of some sort. And what did they bring? They brought the poor man's offering. Wow. And yet all this stuff is expected of them. Next, the pressures of the future. Look at verse 33. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, 
Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, verse uh, 35, yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. You, you, know, what he, you know what he's basically saying? Simeon was basically saying, Mary, by the way, you're, you're a blessed woman for being chosen for this. But let me tell you something. This child is going to break your heart what happens to this child. And you'll be right there to see every bit of it. Wow. Can you imagine being told that? Now, here's a question. If you received a message from an angel that God had something he wanted to do with you, and that something was to raise his son, what would you think would come with that? Honor? Prestige? Privilege? Favoritism? Possibly complete understanding? He doesn't want me to mess this up, so he's going to give me complete understanding. Is that what we just read? No. We read about being embarrassed, humiliated, shamed, isolated, overwhelmed, inconvenienced. You know, I get so sick and tired of people saying all the time, man, you come to Jesus and all your problems will be taken care of. You come to Jesus and you give this, oh, he's going to multiply it by 10 and give you so much more. You'll be, you'll be financially blessed beyond measure. Life gets, they are liars from hell. I'm just going to tell you, it's not that way. There's a plan. The plan is bigger than you. It may inconvenience you. It may be difficult. It may at times humiliate you. But there is a grand plan that God's put together. And you are a part of that big giant puzzle, but you're just a part of it. God has something much bigger that he's planned. And we get the privilege to be part of it. In all... Joseph, I believe, did well. You think about it. He did well. But there's not hardly anything attributed to him. Nowhere in Scripture is he quoted. Nowhere in Scripture does he say a word. He apparently passes away when Jesus is a younger man because we never read about him after age 12. Between age 12 and Jesus's, uh, uh, Jesus at age 30, somewhere along the line, he, he passes from the scene. So, so, so there's something. There's not a small obituary about him. Joseph just fades out. He, he's a guy who helped raise, protect, provide for the Son of God. Two of his other sons, James and Jude, are going to become great church leaders in the future who even write part of the Bible. Yet, the, this entire experience had to seem overwhelming to a man who was a simple carpenter just living a simple life. Yet Joseph demonstrated a life of obedience. So in conclusion, from Joseph's life, we learn that obedience in the struggle creates a faith in God that is vibrant, sustainable, and usable. God, whatever you're going through, God wants to elevate you. Not in privilege, not in prestige, but he wants to elevate your faith to a place that it is vibrant. 
that is one of those things that you see that becomes crucial to who you are as a person and those things in which you hang on to him. So here's the RSVP. As Joseph, have you accepted God's invitation to join him this Christmas? And what does that look like? For those of you who have never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, receiving what he offers. You, you know why he came? Bible, we just read it. To save you from your sin. To save you from your sin. That heaven can be your eternal home. And so I invite you. We're going to have prayer partners here in just a moment. I invite you to come. Talk with someone. If you've never given your heart to the Lord. Secondly, a willingness to be obedient to what he calls you to do. If you're sitting here and you're contemplating and you know something God has laid on your heart. And it's just simple willingness and obedience. Can I just tell you this? I'm not going to sit here and sugarcoat it. It may be one of the most difficult things you've ever done. But it will be the greatest blessing you've ever received by doing it. How do I know? Because of what I read in Scripture. Number three, do you have a desire to be a piece of a, a, of a beautiful puzzle that God is putting together? Right now, I don't know about you, but in my life and what I see in this world, how many of you, when you look in this world and you say, okay, if God is putting a puzzle together, there's a lot of pieces missing right now because it makes no sense. How many of you are there? In a lot of ways, it makes no sense. In some ways, it's getting clear. But in some ways, it's, it, it's confounding. And then you narrow it down to your own personal life, and you're sitting here, and you're like, God, I just want to be used by you. I just want to live the way you desire me to live. Help me to get to that point where my faith becomes vibrant. Where I can be someone you can trust in to accomplish what you desire me to do through my simple life. Through my simple life. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if you'll, prayer partners, if you'll just come forward. Matter of fact, would you just stand to your feet? Father, we just come to you right now. And, and Lord, I just pray for that one that may be here right now that's never given the their life to you. They've never placed their faith in you. They've never turned from their sins and turned to you. I pray today is a day in which your Holy Spirit's been working in their life in such a way that you would draw them to you. Father, for that Christian, that believer, that follower of Jesus is standing here this morning. Maybe there's just a, a path of obedience that they've never taken it was always that thing that just seemed so overwhelming that seemed too much of a burden yet you continue to call them to obedience father i just pray you'll work in their life and then for that person that's standing here this morning and they're just trying to figure out what part do they play in all this they know that you're in charge they know that all these things are out there but they can't figure out why they are where they are today. For some, it's a place of suffering that they find themselves. And they feel so isolated in it, overwhelmed in it. Father, I just pray that you'll just encourage their heart today. Bring them the hope that you brought Joseph. That, that new understanding of a new thing you want to do in their life through this. Father, have your way in our, all our misunderstandings. 
in Jesus' name. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, we're just going to pause here for just a moment. They're going to play softly. If you need someone to pray with you, they're here at the front. Just take these moments. Contemplate what God's doing in your heart this morning. Would you do that? Father, we just come to you, and again, we thank you for just the movement of your Holy Spirit, Lord. I, Lord, I just pray that the decisions that have been made here, Lord, today would just resonate, uh, not just in the moments of each person's life, but would resonate to their being purpose even in heaven. Father, for that one that needs to give their life to you for the first time, I just pray, Lord, that they'll see that need, that that need will capture them here today, that heaven can rejoice. For that person that needs to walk closer to that obedience that you've called them to, that in that, Father, that it will resonate to heaven, that it'll be a path that leads others, that it'll be a path that leads them to a greater understanding of what you're attempting to do in their life, to make their faith vibrant, to make their faith one of direct obedience. We thank you for it. We thank you for what you've done here today. In Jesus' name, amen.